Welcome once again to the Pendulum Land Podcast, Halloween edition. Our podcast is designed for people interested in the right-of-way industry, eminent domain, the Uniform Relocation Act, or anyone who just enjoys spirited discussion of popular culture. Today's podcast is sponsored by Pendulum Land Services, a full-service right-of-way acquisition firm managed by industry experts who are dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way process. Visit them at PendulumLand.com. With us today is our regular crew, Kristen Bennett from the great state of Texas. Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Carrie Lynn Hirsch from Pendulum Land Services. Trick or treat, Carrie Lynn. I will always choose a treat. I'm Ross Green, an eminent domain attorney from the great commonwealth of Virginia. Trick or treat, Ross. Trick or treat, Dave. He did it. (gasps) What just happened? I'm Dave Arnold, your host and authority on the best music movies released between 75 and 95, as well as the best Halloween costumes and Halloween candy ever. So let's get to it. Today's episode is Graveyard Relocation and Historical Sites. It's our Halloween special. How shall we kick this off? (laughs) I don't have any scary sound effects. I don't have any. I wish I did. I think we should talk about everybody's favorite scary movie. You know, that's a great idea. And and to set the stage for that, there are different genres of scary movies. Like there's the hacker movies. When I was a kid, Halloween was big. Then Friday the 13th, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep. That and was that, Nightmare on Elm Street, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Then, Friday the then what 13th. was Friday the 13th? That was Jason, Jason with the mask. Then who's Freddy Krueger? Nightmare on, Nightmare on Elm Street. Then who was in Halloween? Michael Myers. How do you know these things? I don't know because I hate scary movies. I don't know why I know these. I used to pretend to like them because I wanted to be cool. So I would like pretend to like them and then like go home and like curl up in the fetal position and cry in my bed because I was so scared. But but those are the, that that genre is really like hack 'em up scary movies. Yeah, like and Texas then, Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, and then more recently the Saw series. Oh gosh, no, 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 no. What was that guy's name in Saw? I did not Ross, see that. Ross, do you that. know? You know what I'm talking about. Jigsaw. Yeah, the guy is stupid. No, I don't watch those. I did see a couple of them. And then there are kind of the psychological thriller movies, and then there are the um, true ghost or supernatural movies like Poltergeist. Did you see that? No, I'm too scared. Or um, when I was really young, Carrie Lynn, do you remember um, Rosemary's Baby? Oh, my. I do. And The Exorcist? Yes. I do. Did you see The Omen? Yes. I didn't see The Omen. That is creepy. Then there's the question of does like... no gore. Nope, nope, nope. Does does the movie What Lies Beneath, does that even count as a scary movie? If it does, that's my favorite. I love that movie, but it's kind of more like We haven't gotten to you yet. That's not your... We're going to discuss each person's... Okay. Is it... So is that a scary movie? I don't like know. Like those, like, psycho- suspense. It's kind of ghosty. It's kind of suspenseful. You know, it, isn't it really just, like, the dude, you think he's okay, but he's really the evil husband who's going to kill her? It's like Fatal Attraction yeah. or, like, um, Sleeping with the Enemy. Are those scary movies? No. Oh. Then I don't think What Lies Beneath is either. I don't know. That part where she boils the rabbit is pretty screwed up. Oh, on Fatal Attraction? You Yeah, you don't want somebody that's going to boil your bunny. That is... So, Carrie Lynn Hirsch... What's your favorite scary movie? Without a doubt, the movie that scares me the most is The Exorcist. Oh, did I steal your thunder? Uh, it's okay. It, Let's talk about that. It, that, to me, is just the most frightening movie that was ever made. 
is it, is it frightening because of the content, because it might be true? Or, there were, as I recall, there were some extremely disturbing scenes in that movie. Like, ooh. Yeah, there were extremely disturbing scenes, and it was like I kind of felt like, well, that could really happen, and what if that happened to me? <laughs> or, but but it's not. It's, it's what happened to a child. I know, and I was pretty young when I watched it. But as a parent now, that's like incomprehensible that could happen to your child to be like yes take me take me that which is, is exactly true. what the priest said I'm really exactly glad. i'm glad i haven't seen that movie you haven't seen the exorcist no, i don't like scary movies stop the podcast let's rent it we can get it on amazon and then we will resume the podcast nightmares. okay so Kristen, how did you like the exorcist I hated it too scary i'm gonna have nightmares okay well we won't do that anymore ross what do you think requiem for a dream Oh, oh my Jesus. gosh, you like that movie? No, no, you wait, wait. I thought this was scary movies. Yeah, he's a favorite scary movie. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. I don't like something like Train Spotting. That's a comedy. You see that zombie baby cross across the <laughs> He can't even say it. Zombie baby I don't, crossy, I think crossy. that's a funny movie. Okay. Wait, they, wait, wait, they wait. all do heroin, so the baby dies, and then they have a drug dream that it's zombified corpse crimes across the okay, ceiling. Okay, that, that sounds. I'm, it's a messed up movie, but it, there are parts that are really, truly very funny. But it is messed up. I only saw it once, and if I've only seen it once, that's because it was disturbing. So let's go back to Requiem for a Dream. Speaking of disturbing, what, like what makes that a scary movie? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what makes that a scary movie is that the 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 final scenes of that haunt me in my dreams forevermore. They're so because disturbing. Because if, if relocation doesn't work out, it might become you. <laughs> because you did heroin and let your arm rot off. No, because it's so it's just horrifying. It's so it's just it like bothers me. I don't like I don't want to see it again. Because you got put in electroshock therapy and became a vegetable. You, you know what yeah. was? You know what I actually did find very frightening about that movie is who was the lady? Is it Diane? Not Diane Lane. Um, the the bl- plays Jared Leto's mother. Oh. The blonde. Oh gosh. And she's grinding her teeth because she's Ugh. taking speed or something like that, and it just creeped me out. And then him riding around as his arms getting worse and worse and worse. I'm thinking. Go to a doctor. Go to a clinic. Do something, or Is you're going to wind up. Ellen Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn. That's it. She's the one that gets the electroshock therapy, right? I think so. God, I let's. Can we move on? I'm going to throw up. This is a terrible thing to be discussing. Do you, do you need me to bring a pot or a, a wastebasket next Maybe. to you? Maybe. <clears throat> okay. Well, you're. I mean, I also like Alien. Okay. Th- now we're talking. Okay. Good. There we go. That's that's more. Something I never I can saw think Alien. About. Can you believe that? I've, I've never, never seen, seen any it either. Of them. I've never oh, seen it. Stop either. the podcast. Play the okay. Okay. All right, hold, hold on. on. Hold stop on. it. Wow, that was a great Jesus, movie. I'm wow. Screw that. So weird when Not that alien like that came anymore. out of that stomach. Ugh. So weird. And the thing that came out of the mouth that came out of the mouth? And the, yeah. What? It's very meta. Hey, <sighs> let's let's move on. Thank you for letting us watch that movie real quick, Ross. All right. So Kristen. I, mine's a tie. I really have not seen very many scary movies. The last scary movie I saw was The Ring, and it legit like messed me up. I, I, it scared me, and it's so stupid when you think about it. So it's not The Ring. But my favorite two scary movies that I've seen multiple times because I think they're really good are The Shining and The Changeling. And I don't mean The Changeling with Angelina Jolie. I mean the old one with like George C. Scott. Mm. Have you all seen that? No. Pause it. Okay. 
What'd you guys think? Oh, much better than Angelina Jolie. Right, right, right. Now, my brother and I used to watch The Changeling, and it's really funny because there's a, it's not funny, it's really scary, Um, but there's like a wheelchair in an attic that's like possessed at one point. It's just one little tiny part of the movie, but my brother was so terrified by it that like if we were at Walmart and saw a wheelchair, he would freak out. Like even, like he was scared of wheelchairs for years because of this movie. Yeah, but it's really good. And The Shining is just a classic. I really like that one. I read the book, The Shining, before I saw the movie. And the book was. Oh, the book was written. better. Yeah, I read it. Wow, how novel! <laughs> <laughs> I read it on the beach, and then then later saw the movie. And both of them, I found very disturbing. Those twins. Oh boy, very creepy. But I I don't really. Those are my favorite two scary movies. There are two of about ten I've probably ever seen because I don't really like them. Well, you're probably getting ready to ask me what mine is, and yep. I also have a tie. But ironically, mine has the same lead actor in both of them. And he's not someone you associate with frightening movies. Would you oh. like to guess? Uh, Kevin Bacon. No, his Kevin friend? and I. Uh, his friend from Starbucks? Yeah, he's my buddy from Starbucks. Yeah. He has been in a scary movie before. Yes. He was in that one oh, where he dug well, um, everything up. He was digging up yeah. digging up stuff mm-hmm. in the basement. Yeah. I don't remember what that was called, but it was pretty scary. I did see that one. What? Okay. in Memento? Kevin Bacon wasn't in Memento, no. was he? No, that was Guy Pierce. Okay, so what are yours? I can't guess. <laughs> okay. Remember in a pre- previous episode, we were talking about Sixth Sense and not seeing it coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Ross is like, yeah, I figured out Sixth Sense in the opening credits. And Kristen's I like, didn't. you're crazy. I didn't say. Close enough. You're like, I got that figured out. Night Shyamalan, stupid. Okay. This is a movie where I didn't see it coming. It, it, I could go, we could go watch it now. It'd still creep me out. And the lead uh, actor in it is John Cusack. And the oh. movie. Oh, yes. I'm not there yet. The movie is Identity, with what? the hotel and the rainy night. Yes, and I'm not going to ruin it oh for you. Oh my gosh, that I've seen that too. I guess I have seen some. Is that movies. was the one with Jennifer Aniston? No. Hmm. I'm t- I'm I'm here to tell you, you it's a it's a plotting movie, and the people die off one by one by one until there's just one left, and then the ending. There's no way to see that ending coming. I don't so, think. Hold on, you said you're. Two in the tie both have the same lead actor. I um, is your other favorite scary movie say anything like what? No, he's in another horror movie called. I don't steal your thunder. You just gave it away, and you're like, you can't guess things in advance. I'm like, you said John Cusack, and he's in horror. So movies. he he quickly looked up on IMDb John Cusack horror movies. But you're right, 1408, where he checks himself into a hotel room to deal with the paranormal. And then you think he makes it through the night because they're like, nobody ever makes it through the night. But just like Identity, the night followed him into his actual reality. That sounds very scary. It was. You haven't seen it? No. Let's watch it okay. real quick. All right, let's, quick. let's check it out. See? Oh, my God. I did not see that coming. <laughs> you didn't see oh that coming, gosh, did you? Oh, my gosh. That was crazy. I'm not going to sleep, guys. After watching those three scary movies in a row today. That was crazy. Ooh, that wow. was totally crazy. So... Whew, that's a good way to kick off this podcast. Um, what are we talking about today besides well, scary movies? Well, well, we're going to talk about graveyards because sometimes <gasps> they are affected. This is a Halloween episode. Sometimes graveyards are affected by the right-of-way process, whether it's a road widening or any sort of public infrastructure project. And there may be um, a graveyard, which in some cases nobody's even maintaining anymore in the uh. path. Oh, we still have to deal with that, and, don't we? And I will tell you this. I will tell you this. It, it wasn't by design, more by chance and by necessity. Um, 
Ross Green, who's with us on the podcast, became kind of the go-to guy, at least in the Commonwealth of Virginia, when there were graveyards or unmarked graves at issue. How do you deal with that, Ross? It's a very uh, respectful process, frankly. You, it doesn't come up often. We try to avoid it uh, as much as we can. It involves a court proceeding, court approvals, advertising, uh, researching the family members of the people involved, uh, reaching out to their next of kin, getting their wishes, uh, and going through a lengthy judicial process to get an approval in order to eventually be able to have archaeologists or uh, a licensed funeral home do the exhumations, and then you have a court-approved location to relocate them to either on the property or uh, at another uh, approved site, usually a, a church or a cemetery that the, matches their wishes, the wishes of their next of kin, etc., that the court approves for you to have them relocated to by the necessary licensed personnel. So is this a relocation expense? No, it, it we call it graveyard relocation, but it doesn't really bear any relationship to the Uniform Relocation Act because it's not, the money doesn't come from the funds that relocation funds come from, the statutes aren't related. It, I mean, you're moving something from one place to another as a result of a right-of-way project, but it's not a Uniform Relocation Act issue under the state or federal act. Different states have different laws about how you go about it. Yeah, I've heard of some pe- I've heard of people doing uh, graveyards under relocation, but not uh, not in that case. So, okay. It, it can be. You can end sure. up in a UR- Uniform Relocation Act situation where you have a commercial cemetery. Okay. Um, but an operating commercial cemetery is not um, usually the situation uh, that you use the process that I'm talking about because most of the time they have legal rights to go through this anyway because they're the custodian of that property and they'll usually reach out. Who does that belong to? A coffin with a body in it. It's an interesting question in property law because it's not terribly clear. Obviously, you own yourself – but while when you're, you're alive. dead, you don't own yourself, do you? Well, no. And so then the question becomes, does your estate own you when you are dead? Um, and interred into the ground. Like, and, and the answer is, uh, it's not really that clear. Usually what you're looking for um, is the permission of the next of kin uh, to interact with the body and carry out their wishes. It, it's not really a settled question in Virginia that I'm aware as far as does huh. anybody own a corpse because you're it, it's illegal for you to move or deal with remains generally if you're not a licensed yeah, professional. Like if you own the corpse, can you just like keep it at your house for a while? No. no. So maybe, yeah, interesting. So. It's my body. my my Not my body. It's this my is, loved one's body. <laughs> this is mind-boggling. Bottling. It's mind-bottling. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, Say it right. So sometimes it's what's ha- I'll, I'll say will happen is they'll start a project, construction on a project, and just come across bones where it is some like way 
out in the less developed areas where people had old grave sites on their per on their property that weren't marked nobody knew they were there and then we have to stop the construction to because we found remains right and then that's when the archaeologists yeah then yes. how do, yeah what do you do with that you don't have a headstone that says you know somebody's name where you can go do some research on that what do you do well the, when they're unmarked you bring in like carolyn said you bring in archaeologists usually you'll have a report to determine if there's historical significance and if there's not you just what do you do then uh, then you usually do research in the locality to try to determine if you can who's there with like looking at title and like who owns the land yeah and who's on the property now who was on the property in the past you know go through the phone book go to town uh, so it's like title research on drugs yeah wow i mean you one time the next of kin showed up uh while we were there i mean it wasn't marked but she knew where it was because her family had told her that it was there like under the old oak tree i don't really there really wasn't a defining geographic characteristic for where this was 40 paces from the old house yeah it it was that was actually very much what it was it was you know we used to have a our people used to have a house roughly over there and you know this many paces from this place is this place i mean it was, oh there was nothing gosh. you could see but the lady knew roughly where it was it and was, that and she was fairly accurate i guess pretty close yeah i mean she she knew who she thought was buried there and ultimately the remains seemed to indicate that she was correct as far as at least who she thought was buried there. I mean, there were more people or more remains there than that, but who she thought was there, we think was there. Wow. Interesting. You've, you've um, kind of blown through this topic pretty quickly. I'd like to slow down and back up a little bit. Let's, let's say, number one, there is an established for-profit cemetery, okay? And you're going to build a road through it. Is that possible? Does that happen sometimes? No. Why not? I mean, no is the quick answer. I mean, it, it occasionally happens if you have absolutely no geographic choice about the siting of your uh, project. I can think of one instance in West Virginia where there wasn't an option due to the rather odd geology. Essentially, it was on kind of the side of a cliff, and there was only one place to put the road, so there wasn't uh, really an option. But... Uh, most of the time, no. You would never choose to pick that as a sighting uh, if you can avoid it because why would you want to deal with the negative publicity of dealing of digging up everybody's relations? Sure, but, but if you did, like that instance in West Virginia, and where I'm going with this is if you didn't have any choice but to go through a established for-profit cemetery, then does that trigger, trigger the Uniform Relocation Act? And are you relocating graves under the act? As an expense under the act? You know, I haven't done a graveyard. I've never been involved in a project with a graveyard. But I've heard it's kind of one of those bucket list relocations. Like, people always get excited about certain types of relocations. Like, oh, my gosh. For instance, like, I just I just started on my first strip club. And it's always kind of like a badge of honor. Like, I've relocated a strip club. Mm. You know? Cemeteries are the same thing. I've never done one. I know people that have. So I'm assuming if it's a for-profit, at that point, then you are you are triggering, tr- 
Triggling? Yes, triggling is the correct yes, word. Yes, it's mind bottling how much I can forget these words. I, I think that maybe that maybe then it does trigger the Uniform Act and we're dealing with relocation. Because in that case, don't you have to contact the families? And here's the other thing I question about that is if if we're at a for profit cemetery and we're saying each of the souls buried there are gonna be relocated under the Uniform Act, then we've got to contact the family and then we have to pay to move that body. When you tell somebody that they have to move, you don't tell them where they're going to move. You just tell them they have to move, and they can move that that item of personal property anywhere they want. If we're talking about a body, like, do you give them options? I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm curious about how that would work. If anybody wants to hire me to do a cemetery, I'd really like to do it and learn about this a little more. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, generally, when you have a for-profit cemetery, you're going to have business property and related items similar to a standard business relocation. So assume you needed to move the entire thing somehow. I mean, think about moving the something the size of an operating for-profit cemetery. I'm not sure how you'd have to move the whole thing. But Well, hold on. Can But to say you're going to move the whole cemetery, if my great-grandmother's buried out there, don't I get a say in what happens to her? You don't get to move my great-grandmother's body, right? It's the same as like having a U-Haul with like storage units. You can't move the whole operation. Everybody's storage unit, like they each are displaced individually and they get to move their stuff where they want. You don't have the right to move my stuff. I don't think you have the right to move my great-grandmother. Do you? That depends on the contract and the nature of the relationship between the for-profit cemetery because an operating Uh cemetery essentially takes over your custodianship of the remains. And it depends on what the nature of your deal is with them. I mean, you have operating cemeteries where you just buy a plot and essentially, they sell you a square of dirt. Okay. Um, but there are different arrangements depending on what they are. Like you can have a, there are some of them that, for example, have above ground mausoleums. So where it's just bodies slotted into the structure. Sure. And you could conceivably move the entire structure. So, of course, you're going to have to consult with the next of kin about relocating. Uh, the remains. As is that different if they're in the ground? No, it's just a question of what the exact contractual relationship is with okay. the business entity as far as those remains. Like, did you wow. buy a piece of dirt to put your relative in, or did you enter into a contract with the cemetery for them to bury your relative in that cemetery? So, are you saying you wow. own okay. a piece of dirt? Or essentially, you paid them to bury a body. Wow. Okay. Um, usually, like I said, you don't run into this with a for-profit cemetery because generally they have a custodial relationship with the remains. Okay. And they'll take care of it. Meaning that if we disp- if if we acquire a cemetery, a for-profit cemetery, you could theoretically make the decision on what happens to my great grandmother without consulting me. I, I, I understand depending on our agreement. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it would depend on what your deal was with them. But hmm. if we have to go through the legal approval process to move your remains, then we're, of course, going to have to contact the next of kin and go along with their wishes. Right. About where the body moves to. But most of the time I can think of in a commercial context, what you would happen would be you in your project hit a corner or a strip of that cemetery. So you're going to hit some amount of graves, but not the entire facility. Okay. 
So really, they could carry out their contractual obligations by taking those graves and moving them to another location on the site. Okay. But you don't, like I said, most people would, in citing a project, avoid this if at all possible. You don't want to know the answers to these questions. Maybe not, but you're talking about a for-profit cemetery, and I'm just thinking doesn't seem like the most profitable business to me it's not. i mean if you have a mausoleum and you've got like cremains okay maybe you can get some more I, like it feels like not not the best decision for a profitable business it's not which is why most of the time what you actually find is that it essentially goes defunct and the operating entity kind of disappears and then you hit it and find out that there's nobody really at home anymore and wow. then you're really going looking at more like, oh, yeah, the corporation that was running this that initially started, it's been defunct for 20 years and all of their arrangements, you know, long ago went by the wayside. We don't know anything about those. You just have a graveyard. Then what do you do? And then you're looking into court approvals is what you're talking about. Oh, boy. Wow. Court approvals for what? To move the bodies. You have to get court approval? Yeah. So... You get court approval. Do you contact the the next of kin? Yes. What if they don't want them to be moved? That's usually when you ha already have arranged for the necessary eminent domain authority and own the property. They that's not really an option. Sounds very complicated. It does. It is. Remember when I said earlier, if somebody wants to hire me to do a cemetery so I can learn more about it, I don't. Maybe not. <laughs> sounds <laughs> sounds like a lot. <laughs> It's making my brain hurt. That's fascinating. Huh. Yeah, let's go back to a comment that Carrie Lynn made earlier where you get into a project and we've known of instances where you've stumbled upon the, upon the graves. They weren't marked and they were not identified at the outset of the project. So what happens if you stumble upon a, grave, a human grave site after construction has commenced? You stop construction. You stop construction. You get an examination of the historical significance of the situation. If it turns out that it doesn't have historical significance, you hire a licensed funeral home and you get a court approval. If it turns out that it does have historical significance, well, you hire an archaeologist and get a court historical approval. significance, like it's like Jimmy Hoffa or something. Like what? Do you, what? What? What are we? Historical significance. What does that mean if you're looking at bones? General, some, some bones are more historically significant than others. For instance. Mine, <laughs> stop construction, we're shutting the whole project down. I see. Okay. So <laughs> other than Dave Arnold's very historically significant bones, what what else would constitute signif historically significant bones? Like if you know who it is and it's like some historical figure or? Generally has to do with their re the relationship of the remains or cemetery to major historical events. Okay. So it's just like it sounds, like this person had relevance to something historical or? Yeah. Okay. All right. Because every uh, once in a while you'll run into some historical figure's grave or you know, the location of their remains was unknown and then it's found and then you want to, you know, you don't want to simply treat it like a disinterring a coffin in a cemetery. You're going to need something significantly more than that. Right? When you're talking about remains this old, they're probably not in a container. Or gotcha. the container will have 
decayed to the point where there's nothing left of it, but maybe the handles. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. And at that point, often the weight of the earth will have compacted uh, the remains. So then everything tends to be uh, kind of broken and smashed. And you have an archaeologist come in and remove it layer by layer with hand tools to make sure that you preserve the remains in the site and transport everything to the new site. Well, the good news is it sounds like any time that a condemning authority is dealing with any kind of human remains, they're very, very respectful at every turn. Absolutely. Yeah, nobody yeah. wants... Uh, That's great. Nobody wants to be involved with this particular type of process, and nobody wants anybody else to think that uh, they weren't behaving the way that you would want people to behave towards the remains of your relatives. I gotcha. We even have a, a gentleman that works here in Virginia where anytime they find an unmarked grave, even if they never determine who it is when they disinter, when they reinter them, he he will attend the the burial of the as if it were a funeral. He will go and, and be there if there's no family or anything to be there. Very interesting. That is. Very interesting. That is. That was a load. That was a load to digest. A little heavy. Yeah. For our Halloween episode. Well, so let's let's lighten let's lighten the mood just a tad and um, let's talk about since this is our inaugural Halloween episode, let's talk about Halloween costumes. Like what's the best Halloween costume you've ever worn to a party? Who wants to start? And remember, this is a family show. Okay, I'll start. Okay. Because mine is family oriented and I did win a prize for this, but do you remember the California raisins? Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. So I went as a California raisin and it was the easiest, most inexpensive costume any that you ever had because I just got like these giant plastic sunglasses and a microphone and some white gloves and a <laughs> big hefty trash bag. And you I just stuffed California it full raisin. of newspaper and I was a California raisin. I'm sure gonna did. I won a hundred bucks. That's ingenious. That, you know what? I've I've wanted to have like a, a Halloween party where you have to come as an untimely character. Like you could come as like Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky now. Like it's not timely. Or you could come as a California raisin. Wouldn't that be a fun party? And so everybody's come in like dressed up as like Walter Mondale or something. Everybody's like, what what is happening right now? I think that would be a great party. But I'm stealing that if I ever do my untimely Halloween it's costume party. Super easy. I love it. Fantastic. Who wants to go next? Oh, I'll go. I was very proud of this costume, and precisely one person actually got my costume, and it was my dad. He was like, great costume, kid. Nobody else got it. And this was just a couple of years ago. Do you guys know the artist Banksy? No. Okay. Banksy does, like, he, like, tags stuff. He's, like, a graffiti artist, but now his stuff, he, like, is all over the place, and he'll do these very politically motivated graffiti art and now you know there'll be some like random farmer in ireland and his barn will get tagged and they'll be like now your barn's worth four million dollars congratulations but he did a painting years ago that was a, a girl and she's like holding a red balloon and it's slipping out of her hand and that painting was sold at auction and he had put it in a frame 
so that when it was being auctioned off, I think it was at Sotheby's, the second that they sold the painting, it like had something inside the frame that would trigger a shredder and it would shred the painting like at the auction house as it was being auctioned off. Do you recall this story? No. I Anybody? do. I do. Okay, now so, that you're telling so it. Banksy's painting, because he's like, I'm not commercial. I don't want my stuff being sold. So his painting gets sold at Sotheby's for like millions of dollars. And the second that they're like, sold, it starts shredding the painting. Okay. And it only went like halfway. So my costume, long story short, too late, was I had a t shirt of that painting and then I cut it up. So it was like halfway shredded. So I wore like a t shirt of the painting. Like halfway shredded. Did anybody guess what you were? My dad did. And he was like, high five, awesome costume. Everybody else was like, "Why? what are you wearing? What's happening right now? But I, I thought it was a great costume. So maybe it's not great if nobody knows what I was, but I thought it was great. Your dad must really love you. <laughs> I think he does. He must. Anyway, that's my favorite costume that nobody got, but I loved it. Next, please. Please Ross, save me Save me from you myself. Got one? We lived in the middle of nowhere with no other children and didn't get to have Halloween. Aww. Well, <laughs> just for the record, my California raisin costume, I wasn't a child. Yeah, I didn't know we were doing children's costumes. Um, What's yours? Well, <clears throat> I, I have two examples. One, I was in college, and I'm terrible at coming up with costumes, and I don't really like drawing attention to myself, as you can imagine. So uh, our fraternity was having a costume party and a sorority mixer at the same time. And I had, I mean, there were going to be a lot of girls there. So I had to come up with something or they wouldn't gonna let me in. So I sat in my fraternity room and I drank bourbon. And uh, I finally decided I was going to become the letter T. And I went to the fraternity party as the letter T. I cut out a big T on my front, on my back, and had T's on my side. And by the end of the party, there were other people wearing tees all over the thing. Did Were you with, like, friends and it spelled something out? No, just I was the letter T, like Sesame Street, man. That's You don't seem impressed. I, the ladies were pretty impressed. They're like, what are you? And I'm like, I'm the letter T. What's up? You want a beer? Did you stand with your arms out the whole time? No, I had the letter on my body. So it wasn't cool doing a T pose. He was just... How, just how much walked around bourbon did you have before this event? Well, I had to have a little bit to come up with such a good idea. That is awful. Okay, that was one <laughs> of two. Let's hear your second one and okay. hope that it goes up from here. The second one has um, to go up. A um, couple hosted a Halloween party uh, as an adult uh, 10 years ago or whatever. And it's actually a, another attorney at Ross's and my firm, Pender and Coward. He and his wife had a party. And I didn't want to come up so with an idea. So. My idea was my wife and I dressed up as the host couple oh and showed gosh. up at their house, hair dyed black, glasses, jewelry, everything just like that. They opened the door. They're like, what are you? And I'm like, dude, we're you. That's, did they, what did they think about this? Uh, I don't know. We're going to have to ask them. Did they seem impressed we, or like offended? We, we never went back to a Halloween party at their house again. Did they ever hmm. talk to you again? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we know how it went. Yikes. It's, uh, it's creative. I'll give you that. Hey, so we talked about graveyards. Our, our episode is actually graveyards and historical sites. What about historical sites? I mean, if a house is like a, I mean, wh wh how do we do with that? What yeah. do we do with that? Yeah, you've got it. You have to be um, on your guard, and it doesn't have to be a historical gravesite or just a gravesite. 
uh, any project should have some sort of review or overview to determine if there is any impact to any sort of historically significant property. Does it have to be designated as a historical site to be historical? It does not. And you really should do what's called a Section 106. um, Well, actually, Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act is what applies, and they call it a Section 106 review. Who does that? Of what will be. Well, it should be um, the local state agency in conjunction with various other agencies, and it's kind of a big to-do. And anything that is uh, federally owned or controlled property, federal right-of-way projects, you have to do this. Um, What's important is any project which receives federal funds, which is almost any highway project, you got to do this kind of review, or any project which would require a federal permit. So if the local agency is going to do it purely with local dollars. If you're going to need a wetlands permit or any sort of federal permit, you've, you're bound by this process. And, and it's not optional. It's absolutely mandatory. So what happens if there is a historical site in the way? Or hist- I'm, I'm sorry, well, it doesn't even have to be a historical site. Just something of historical significance? Yeah, I mean, you've got to figure out what it, what's of historical significance. They eat, it's kind of like the funnel. You know, I always talk about the funnel effect, and you start at the broad rim and you work your way down. The first thing to do and the easiest thing to do is check the National Historic Register to see if there's any property that's affected by that. Properties of historical significance could have been associated with events, activities, or historic figures who are an important part of our historic past, that could qualify. So it's not always just really obvious things like a house where George Washington slept. Well, I, there was a story about, I used to, I started in oil and gas, and there was a story of a landowner who went out before we came out and threw a bunch of arrowheads in the right-of-way. To try to stop and say, you didn't do your Section 106 yeah. review. Yeah, so like, could it be as simple as like an arrowhead out yeah. in the dirt? Yeah, and frequently you have to, um, consult with Native American tribes to see if any of their property or any of anything from their history is affected as well. Now, if somebody threw the arrowhead in the right-of-way, that's pretty transparent. That's pretty transparent. But you, you better check to see if there's some sort of sacred um, Native American property located there. You can start with the simple stuff, like if there's a building that you know was constructed in 1790-something, pretty good indicator you might have a problem. It has a big old marker that says like this is a historical site. (laughs) Yeah okay you better do you better do something about that. Is age alone? No. It's not age alone. Mm -hmm. There has to be some historical event attached to the site or the building. Yeah yeah if in fact that's what you're talking about and then you uh, multiple entities have input into the process, including the state historic preservation officer, as I said, Indian tribes, local governments, etc. It's kind of a very, very broad review, and it's a very broad process. Remember some years ago when they were um, the old jail, they were trying to tear down that old jail on the corner where the visitor center is now? Oh, yeah, in Suffolk? Yeah, in yeah. Suffolk. Yeah, but, and and there was a uh, they had to do a historical review of that because the the historical society was trying to get that old jail that was falling down right marked a determined a historical site so they wouldn't tear it down but I guess ultimately they did not prevail since it's well, now a farmers market yeah, and what I do, what I think is interesting is just because it's a historic property or historic property is impacted doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna 
that you stop the project. Yeah, hold on. That's what I was it just ask triggers. You. It just what? triggers that everybody gets some input, and there has to be a. a a decision so you're process. not going to like reroute your road to avoid this historical site necessarily, but you might. Uh, possibly, yeah. It's not a guarantee. You might be able to turn it down, ter- tear it down. You may um, be able to relocate the building. Yes. They've done a lot of that. Uh, we've had that in Texas in South Lake. There's like this old building in the middle of their town square that was relocated because of a road. But there are some things that just aren't worth the hassle. Isn't that what they did with Mickey's Tavern? They moved it, didn't they? they? Yeah, they moved that. I don't know. I don't know if Mickey's Tavern, which is in Charlottesville, Virginia, I don't know whether that was at the result of a right of way project. But I that was. I thought it moved. had something to do with. No, I thought it had something to do with an. That airport. was a good thought. So it, it doesn't. It doesn't halt the project. It doesn't necessarily reroute anything. It just there's it triggers other things. So if it's not halting the project and it's not causing a redesign or a reroute, then what? Well, I'll tell you. L- let me be clear. If 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 the uh, structure or whatever the historic historically significant thing is has been properly evaluated it won't necessarily halt the project but what may halt the project is if you didn't evaluate it and you didn't do a section 106 review so what i mean by that is that um, if you do the section 106 review and proceed the project's not going to get halted if, if ever if you dot your i's and cross your t's if however you don't do the Section 106 review, and some something of a historic significance is identified in the right-of-way or the, the future right-of-way, then that, may, that could halt your project. Somebody could bring a lawsuit to halt it. Let's say, let's say this, the section, what is it called? When you, the 106? Section 106 okay. review. So 106, 106 review has been done. You find something of historical significance. It's not halting the project. It's not causing a reroute. You've dealt with it. You've dealt with it. You've gotten input from everybody you've got to get input from. So does it just change the amount of money somebody's getting? Not necessarily. So what happens? If you've identified that it's histor- if it's not historical enough to halt the project, then that's that's the end of the story. And well, we move there has forward. to be a determination made as to what you're going to do. You're just going to plow over it? Are you going to move it? Are you okay. going to reroute then the project? Make, then you determine. Are you going to negotiate with the affected parties? You know. Okay. So, so part of that whole 106 thing is figuring out whether or not it's historical and then how to proceed. And then giving, giving people, including the public or other affected people, input into the process. Interesting. So okay. here's, here's an example. We, had, um, we talked about this project in an earlier podcast. It was uh, Portsmouth Boulevard expansion in Suffolk, Virginia, and we were talking about how that led to big business and, and it brought Amazon to town. But oh, yeah. One thing that happened in that project is uh, they were in construction and there was an easement which had been acquired by the local utility company to run power lines next to the widened road. And there was a live oak that was to be cut down. Some people whom I know, and my father was friends with these people, said, you know, that's a really, really big tree. And they got an arborist to go out there and estimated that that tree was between 250 and 300 years old. Oh, my gosh. And there'd never been, so is that does that have historical significance? It might. Did they sign the Declaration of Independence under they that tree? They might have. I or, don't know. I mean, a tree that's old doesn't necessarily have historical significance, right, that, does it? That tree Did might Johnny have Johnny Appleseed been, plant it? But it <laughs> might have been. That tree may have been older than our nation. That's pretty amazing. But the problem was that there was no evaluation of the historical significance of that tree. Oh, no Section 106. No Section 106 review vis-a-vis that tree. And so the question then became, well... Why not? 
what are we going to do? Now, the good news is that uh, the concerned citizens found out uh, who the contact person was for that utility, which was acquiring the easement, called them, and they worked it out. So the tree wow. is that good things happened. Number one, the tree was not cut down; it wasn't even trimmed, and now there's a historical marker at the tree. But I thought they had to cut the tree down to count the rings to figure out how old it is. No, is that they not? Don't need to no, do that. okay. Yes, yeah, so, you know, when they were figuring out it was 300 years old, they sawed that puppy in half. And they're they like, counted, you can't they're hurt like, this tree. They're like, there's 260 rings. We got to keep this tree. Uh oh, too don't late. Actually, have to. You can take a core sample you can hire an arborist Ross, i know you don't have to cut a tree down to figure out how old it is i didn't know that actually <laughs> <laughs> i think this would be a good time for an over under push oh i love an over under push how do we play you know how to play you're the one who leads the over under push. okay here's our over under push you have we are we have three items these are all going to be because this is our halloween special these are all going to be related to halloween candy you can choose that each item is either overrated, underrated, or it's a push. It's appropriately related. And here are our items, and I want to hear from all of you. Candy corn, Reese's peanut butter cups, and Smarties. I'll let you know if you're correct or incorrect on your opinions. Oh, okay. This is easy. As Dave always says, I'm absolutely correct because my opinion is the only one that matters. Well, in over under push, it's actually my opinion that matters. So let's see how you let's see how you stack. So up. you go first, Ross. Let's hear it. Candy corn, Reese's peanut butter cups, and Smarties. And I'll try to not comment until I have input from everyone. Okay, candy Overrated. corn. Overrated. All of them? No, because break it down for him. Okay, let's go candy corn. Everybody, give me your candy corn opinion. Over under or push? Over. Okay. Over. Over. Guys, way to go. We're one for one. Maybe three for three because all three of you answered that right. I don't know how the math works on that. Okay, next up. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups. Push. Yeah, push. Under. One of you is correct. Two of you are incorrect. They are underrated. That's the you know, you guys know I don't really like sweets. I could do some damage with some Reese's peanut butter how, cups. How is it possible that these things are underrated? They're like one of the most beloved candies in the entire one world. One of the most, but they're not the most. Everybody, when you say, what's your favorite candy? Everyone's answer should be Reese's peanut butter cups, and I will accept I nothing I thought it less. was. Or a $100,000 bar. No, that was I favorite. thought it all yeah. was. 100000 what? Remember okay. that? No. It okay. still exists if you go in some really Next questionable up. gas stations. And they've probably been there for 10 years. Next up, Smarties. Oh, Over. Over. Push. Again, Dave, you're correct, and let me tell you why. Thank you. Because I mean, when you're a kid and you get Smarties, they don't taste that good. They don't taste like much of anything, but you can, like, put one in your mouth and suck on it until there's a little hole in it. Did you all ever do that? And I used to think that was really fun to do with Smarties. That, um, that doesn't make it a push. Yeah, it does. You've got one, like, very personal use for an otherwise piece of crap candy. It is not a piece of crap candy. It's tasty. No, it's not. It doesn't it's have any chalk. taste. Yes, it does have taste. And no, you're thinking texture. of something else. You're thinking you're, of that wafer thing that the has wafer no thing. taste. The wafer I'm not thing. thinking of ne now. Necco wafers also taste like chalk, and candy hearts. Yeah, oh, candy hearts. Candy are stupid. hearts. Overrated galore. Candy hearts Ugh. are Smarties shaped like a heart. No, they're no, not. They don't taste Smarties, good. No, no. Smarties. They're, have they're, okay. Smarties have a tang. Smarties have a tang. But to be fair, Carolyn, those candy heart things are made out of bone meal. They're not the same thing. Is as this true? No, he's making this up as he goes along. Is it made out of bone meal? Yes. I don't care what they're made out of because I'm tell never me eating made them out of anyway. Sawdust, so. bone meal, whatever. They're disgusting. I don't want them. Yeah, they're awful. Oh, he's looking it up on the internet. 
well, he's going to Facebook check after us. you were like, oh, yeah, that's not true. You don't even know the answer. You just wanted to say it was false. <laughs> don't worry. Ross has got his phone out, and he's going to Facebook check us. Yes. As we, we do not fact check this podcast. We only Facebook check. What are you okay. finding out? Apparently, I'm wrong, but I don't believe this is the <laughs> Isn't that what I just said? Okay, listen to this ingredient Hey, can you list. please flag? Can you please flag Ross yeah. saying apparently I'm wrong? Apparently for I'm wrong, but I don't believe podcasts. it. Okay, I don't believe it because this ingredient list says they're made out of sugar, corn syrup, dextrose, glycerin, gelatin, citric acid, tragacanth gum. Which good luck with that. I've never heard of that uh, one. And before. like roundup cockroaches. Artificial <laughs> red forty, red three, yellow five, yellow six. Oh, red forty and yellow five, I think are bad, blue right? Blue one and blue two. This would actually taste like something if it were made out of this. Oh, candy hearts, bad. I'm just. I think we. You know what? We can all agree on that. We may not agree on all the other things, but we can definitely agree on candy hearts, bad. But this is the Halloween episode, and I'm just so glad that you guys agree with me. That Reese's peanut butter cups are definitely underrated. Thank you for participating. Yes, and so to wind up today's episode, horrible ways to die. Oh, we got to go dark again. Go ahead. Oh, getting buried alive. Duh. Oh, that's nightmare-inducing. That's yeah. a really bad one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know that it gets worse than that, but I will tell you one that I've thought about is like falling or being pushed or jumping off of a building and having all the time to think about what's coming on the way down. Like if you fell into the Grand Canyon. <gasps> yeah, yes. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. Yes. That happens like eight or ten times a year. But you have if you have more than half of a second to contemplate your death on the way to dying, that's too much. And I think like if you jump if you jumped off of or pushed were pushed off of or whatever, a thirty story building, that's a long time between when you've made that decision and then you hit the ground. No, thank you. Also, yes, that's in the same category. The or going in the engine on the way out. I mean, but whatever. I would, you know what? I would welcome that versus the like 15 minute fall to my death. It won't take that long, would it? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Depends on how high up you are. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Carrie Lynn? I think being burned in a fire. <gasps> I think that would be pretty bad. That's bad. Yeah. Oh. It sounds horribly painful, and it could take some time. It could take so some you time. you could be painful and thinking about the fact that um, you're dying. Aren't you glad we're not do you Salem think, witches? Do you think we should cut this out of the episode? Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to. Ross, what's yours? Radiation poisoning. Ooh. You always take it a step darker. Wow. Yeah, yeah I agree that with that. That is something. No, thank you. Yeah, just wait until all of your... Hair starts to fall out in clumps, and your internal organs dissolve, and you start to throw them up. This is great. Happy time. Halloween, kids! Yes, thank you for joining us for this Pendulum Podcast, brought to you by Pendulum Land Services LLC, a full-service right-of-way acquisition company dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way industry, and also apparently to the integrity of your nightmares. Visit them at <laughs> PendulumLand.com or on Twitter at PendulumLand. The broadcast was produced by Right-of-Way Consults LLC. You can reach out to your resident experts on Twitter at Relo Kristen at Right of Way Ross at Right of Way Dave. Trick or treat, y'all. Trick or treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. 